Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Jeffskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Unreleased track. everybody and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z. Today we are talking about the unreleased track called December Song or Until You Come to Me. I think every time we do these unreleased songs we are questioned about what the actual title is because I'm not sure if there is one. So I feel like people just make it up as they go along. But it is called One or the Other or Both and it is an unreleased song, as I said, originally written by Billy Joel in 1971 for the Cold Spring Harbor album, of which we still have not had an authentic Cold Spring Harbor song, but I believe that's coming soon with the E's. Isn't that correct, Elon? Yeah, Everybody Loves You Now will be our first actual Cold Spring Harbor song. Which is good, Elon, because I don't know whether you figured it out or no. But we are coming on the 50th anniversary of Cold Spring Harbor this October, I believe. Wow. Well, I think we're going to have to have some kind of special event. And we'll invite Billy Joel to it also. I think that would be the last person that would want to celebrate that event. (laughs) Hey, remember that album you hate and disown? Do you want to come to our podcast and talk about it? Boy, he really hates it. I was just looking up some cold. I was looking up to see when. Now that it's the 50th anniversary, you know, like when the first song was and I saw it was in the ease. And then I was just reading like <laughs> he even hates the 1983 version, like where they tried to fix it. And he's like, nah, nah, I'm just disavowing the album. Please, please let it go, folks. Let it go. But this song is I don't know, Elon. What do you I of course I like it. I, clearly, I'm going to like everything off Cold Spring Harbor, I guess, because it's just more piano and more like a singer-songwriter stuff like this song is, and I'm sure you noticed how much like Piano Man this song is, and it was clearly booted because he's like, I don't know, I think I have a better idea for it later. Did you? I assume you noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like the song a lot also. I think it's really cool, but uh, you do hear a lot of elements of other songs of his, not just even Piano Man, which was at this point unwritten for him, but songs that made it onto Cold Spring Harbor there are some real similarities here. Oh, uh, is that so, right? Yeah, like, you know, She's Got Away, which would be like the most well-known song from Cold Spring Harbor. This song, there's a little piano part he does coming out of the chorus. Like you could find it at the one minute, 20 second mark of this song, very similar to the one minute and two mark of She's Got Away. It's just a small thing, but when you hear it, 
you feel like you're about to get into She's Got Away and then it's this song. Um, also, the the piano intro, this song has like a very fast rolling piano. You know, he's really doing his virtuoso piano thing on this song. There's great playing on this song. But that intro sounds a lot uh, like the intro of another song on Cold Spring Harbor called Falling of the Rain. That one's a little bit faster, but they're similar. And you could kind of get a sense why this song would have been left out because you can't just have two songs that have pretty much the same intro to them on an album. Unless that's like the theme you're going for. Maybe you want to have it so it's so cohesive that many songs have elements of other songs on them. But maybe that just makes it sound like you don't have a lot of ideas. Yeah, I don't think that was his plan initially. You know, I think that's more The Stranger. Yeah, right. On The Stranger, that's the way to do it. You open up with like this cool intro to that song, which is the name of the album, and then you outro the whole album with it again. That's a, that's a good way to bookend a theme. I did not notice the She's Got Away, but I'll check it out. Yeah, it's like five or six notes only, but it's uh, it's distinctive. For me, I absolutely notice he gets to one point where it it really seems like he's about to sing, I'm not really sure how it goes. It looks like <laughs> it's building to that. And I'm expecting that song, that, that little uh, line, and it, it doesn't come because it's not Piano Man, which is fine with me because I'm pretty sure in my mind Piano Man is way overplayed already for, you know, so I, I don't know how many times I could listen to it. It's more, more, more like Captain Jack at this point. There's just too many verses. And I just want it to end. But this one also starts with the harmonica, which I also hate. I'm not really sure how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It says it's a little bit like Billy the Kid and with the way that harmonica comes in also. Not even like piano. Man. I feel like it's more of a Billy the Kid harmonica sound. It'd be funny if wait, when wait, he starts. What, what do you think it is? It reminds me of the, the harmonica in ba- oh. the Ballad of Billy the Kid. The Ballad of Billy the Kid, you... Well, when I said Billy the Kid, I was using a much shorter version, which never would have been the title of the song. I knew I, did, I couldn't say Ballad of Billy the Kid because I knew you would say something about that. You got that right. <laughs> People are so outraged, Elon. So outraged. It wasn't in the bees. <laughs> I think it would be funny if, uh, let's say when Billy Joel is like 85 years old and kind of losing his mind a little bit. Maybe, let's say 95. This guy can hold on for a long time. And he's playing Piano Man in concert, but he starts singing these lyrics at some point. Oh, that would be like it just comes back to him all of a sudden and he's confused because it sounds like like the song. And uh, I think that would be cool. Wow. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? Yeah. Something about the melody of the verses. Maybe it is that it sounds like Piano Man or maybe it's something else. But I couldn't put my finger on it. But I was like, this either sounds really familiar to me or maybe that's just that this is a catchy song. Did you feel that this sounded like some other thing that you just couldn't put your finger on? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I couldn't. Yeah, I was sitting there multiple times saying it sounds like something else. What is it? Yeah, but it's probably just another Billy Joel song we're missing, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it either. Yeah, I was like humming it without the lyrics to try to just like get that. And I was going to like call my friend and be like, what song is this? And I couldn't uh, I couldn't figure it out. It's driving me crazy. I don't understand where all these unreleased tracks off Cold Spring Harbor are coming from. I mean, if, if there's only like three of us that seem to know about it, like every time we find one on YouTube, there's only like 200 likes. I mean, where are they coming from? Where are these people getting it? And why don't we hear any unreleased songs off the other albums? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I know the My Lives compilation has a, a few of these um, on it. And but then there are yeah on YouTube, you'll find many other uh, demos out there from this session. And I, I was I was rereading uh, the Billy Joel biography from uh, I forget the author's name. But he mentioned that during these sessions, Billy was really frustrated because Artie Rip was making him do like 15 takes of every single song and really 
overproducing the whole thing. So they probably have tons and tons of material somewhere if these tapes still exist. And maybe we were only getting a trickle of, of what's actually out there. You think more there's more to come? Maybe, or maybe it's all been destroyed and these are just some random things that, that made it out somehow. Maybe know, on some like, bootleg years pe- ago. How do people find these? Where are they coming from? How, how are they being put up on YouTube without some sort of issue or something by Billy Joel even? Yeah, right. Because some artists would shut this kind of stuff down right away. He seems to, I mean, so far he hasn't shut down our podcast. Right. But I'm saying this is like, you know, these kind of songs are coming off the album he hates so much you know, that he's going to have to be reminded about because it's the 50th anniversary and you know he's going to hear it. But hey, Billy, so, you know, some I'm that friend that would call him up. Billy, it's the 50th. Cold Spring Harbor, dude. <laughs> God, just got reminded me today. <laughs> the, his worst nightmare. Well, I think I hope that when that happens later this year or you said next year. No, this year. This year. Yeah. I, 1971. I, I hope that causes people, fans and reviewers to look back on the album and look at it more favorably. Well, I've never heard it in my life. I am looking forward. This is our first D song. Uh, to, next week will be our last D song. <laughs> <laughs> but I am looking forward to hearing our first song off Cold Spring Harbor. I am very looking forward to it. Clearly, with these two or three unreleased songs we've had already around this era, it seems like I'm really going to like this album, as long as it's at the right speed, as long as I hear the correct version. Yeah, I'm I'm actually looking forward to, it's kind of like living vicariously, like those reaction videos. You'll see like a kid watching Star Wars for the first time on YouTube. Back to the future. Yeah, I want to, I'm like, oh, I can't wait till till Dave gets to listen to some of these songs. I know you've heard them before, but like years and years ago. Maybe I haven't. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible you haven't. It's not like this was easy to listen to. Yeah, it wasn't on the radio. I didn't go searching for them. So I'm kind of very excited. There's a lot of stuff I uh, just didn't listen to because I didn't care. So I just got stuck on the Glass Houses album and just listened to that over and over again. Never went back further besides The Stranger and Turnstiles. Yeah, I'm like that with some artists also where like I'll be like, that's one of my favorite bands. Like The Kinks, for example. They're one of my favorite bands. And I know like eight of their albums backwards and forwards. But then there's a lot of like all their later stuff. There's probably like 15 albums that I, I barely know. And yet oh, I still consider them one of my favorites. You don't know the later stuff, like Come Dancing Kinks in the 80s. Yeah, well, I know that song because that's like, you know, the hit. But like, yeah, all those albums I haven't even gotten to yet. So there's a lot of like new material for me to like still discover. So it's a little bit the opposite, I guess. You don't know the beginning of Billy Joel. Right. I don't know the end of the Kinks. Um, I think it's cool to find the beginning of an artist. I am not familiar with a lot of stuff before Turnstiles like Street Life Serenade or Piano Man or Cold Spring Harbor. It just wasn't for me, you know, at the time. But that's why I'm so excited to rediscover all the stuff that I'm sure, like you said, a lot of the stuff I've heard, but I just, uh, you know, I was like, wow, I didn't even know that was Billy Joel. Like, Ain't No Crime is my favorite example of all time because I just, I was like, I've heard this a hundred times, really didn't know it was Billy Joel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you I, mean, thought I, could, it was mod. <laughs> I figured it out at some point, but you know what? Yeah. You're like, this is a weird extended version of the mod theme. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's all I think about. Like the first, um, the first album I ever bought was by the Rembrandts, which because it had the Friends theme on it. Yeah, this was like 1994. That's hilarious. And, and it's like a longer version. You know, it's like a three and a half minute version of that uh, theme song. So it's like I'm like, this is the real version. It has that extra chorus you don't hear on the TV yeah, it's, show. It's annoying. They used to play the Cheers theme on the radio when it first came out and there's you know there's a much more extended version and you kind of get annoyed at it and you're like no no that's not the way it's supposed to go <laughs> yeah or uh the theme for mash the one with the lyrics oh that god Robert Altman's so son wrote. yeah i that who who wrote 
Robert Altman's son wrote the lyrics. He was like a, he was 13 or 15 and, and it's called Suicide is Painless. And it's, you know, it's a really dark song. No, I, I know that because I used to play it on the piano in the 70s when the TV show first came out. That was one of the songs I could play. And I knew all the lyrics. I knew all the lyrics. Like, the losing card I'll someday lay. Like, how can a 15-year-old write this? Right? Or, I, like, I know, he was of, a real prodigy. The game of life is hard to play. The losing card I'll someday lay. And then there's there's more. There's like three things of lyrics. But then I found out there's more. Like on my sheet music, which was just a uh, like a, a one piece or two you know thing. When you open it up, there was just two pages. Then I found out there were like two more sets of paragraphs of lyrics that I didn't even know about. Yeah. I thought I knew them all. That song goes on forever because you know why? Robert Altman was just always high. So he's like, oh, did we already do three paragraphs already? Let's do some more. Well, maybe that's the story. I mean, it makes sense. I just, I just looked it up on uh, Wikipedia. It says here, uh, Robert Altman attempted to write the lyric himself, but upon finding it too difficult for his 45-year-old brain to write stupid enough, he gave the test to his 14-year-old son, Michael, who wrote the I, lyric in five minutes. That doesn't make any sense that a 14-year-old could write those lyrics. I mean, if you know those lyrics... They're not written. I, that's that fourteen-year-old must have. Well, he, did he kill himself? Is he still alive? I mean, that is really Unclear. messed up. If that's the case, that's those lyrics. Are you looking up the lyric? Look up the lyrics. They're insane. I mean, when I was singing it as like a ten-year-old, it was odd. It was like my dad picking on me with the with with the, it was the Copacabana thing. He's like, "Why are you singing that song?" Yeah. Well, the chorus is that suicide is painless. It brings on many changes, and I can and take, I can or, take leave or leave it if, if I please. If I please. What 14-year-old bullshit? I'm calling the bullshit. sword of time will pierce our skins. It doesn't hurt when it begins, but as it works its way on in, the pain grows stronger. Watch it grin. Yeah, but that's one of the ones they didn't even use. That's one of the ones I'm talking about. That's not even part of the goddamn... That's later. Yeah, yeah, these later... Uh, you can tell why they didn't use these ones. They got a little ridiculous. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, wh what 14-year-old do you know that's writing a song like that besides... Uh, Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, this is the story. Maybe, look, maybe this is to give his son more credit. Maybe Robert Altman wrote a lot of it and then his son kind of just cleaned no, up parts no. of it. No, because if his son, if his 14-year-old son write, li wrote lyrics like these, do another verse. Through early morning fog I see visions of the things to be, the pains that are withheld for me. I realize, realize and, and I, I can see. That's the first verse. That's the first verse. That's how it opens. The last but, here's the last one. Um, a brave man once requested me to answer questions that are key. Is it to be or not to be? And I replied, Oh, why ask me? These are kind of stupid. Well, I could see a 14-year-old writing that one, maybe, but you have to be prolific, and we'd know about Robert Altman's son to this day if he was like a prodigy and wrote these unbelievable... I'm not buying it. No way. I mean, if I knew a 14-year-old that was writing this, uh, I might have him committed. There's something wrong with a 14-year-old that's writing because he's, he's going to shoot up a school or something. That's too, that's too messed up. Unless he was as high as his father... Could be. I mean, that a Hollywood 14-year-old was probably doing a lot of drugs. Well, like that's what happened to Robert Downey Jr. His father was way high when he was like directing, and obviously he followed down that path. So Robert Downey Jr. was pretty high and on drugs at 12, 13. So I guess 
that's a thing. And I could see, actually, quite frankly, I could see Robert Downey Jr. writing lyrics like these. So there he is. Somebody we don't want to know, Robert Altman's son. Well, Robert Downey Jr. went to the same junior high school as me. He did? Because I thought he was, uh, went to school at Woodstock. No, he, in junior high, he was in uh, junior high school 104. Uh. Manhattan. I'm looking up the IMDb page for Michael Altman. There's not much here. Everything he has is that the, the show used suicide as painless. Yeah, and he clearly killed himself right after because uh, you don't write lyrics like that and then stay alive. I love life. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the song a little bit. <laughs> I have nothing else to say about the song. Well, the, the lyrical content of the song is interesting. So this song is about a guy who apparently says the wrong thing to a girl who he's either dating or likes or whatever, and she runs off, and then he finds out that he uh, he didn't realize that like that was the wrong thing to say. It's kind of like I feel like he was negging a girl, you know? He was like, "Oh, that hat looks really stupid," and then she runs off crying, and then her friends are like, "That's her grandfather's hat. He just died." <laughs> and then he like pulls on his collar, like, Ugh. <laughs> "Yeah, but it's." So more then like he's a... like, "Well, you take you take your time uh, when you're ready. I didn't realize that was a thing, but like when you're ready, come back to me." I'm not going to push it. It's just like the Seinfeld thing we always talk about. See, somewhere between ma, nor, then she mentioned she had a boyfriend. Yeah. My boyfriend has a watch like that. Yeah, he, he said something that caused the turn. I don't get that reference. Is that, part, is that in that lyric also? Is that in the uh, episode? Wait, you don't know that episode? I know the Seinfeld? episode. I love the ma, nor. I mean, that's the Marissa Tomei thing. Or does he use it again a different time? Oh, he uses it again a different time. Oh, that's like his go-to line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why it's so funny. He He's on a date with the girl, and I think it's the waitress at the uh, diner. And they're going out, and everything's fine, and they're on a day date. And then he mentions ma, nor. It's not really that bad a word. You have ma, which is, you know, no big deal, and nor. You know, like, get out of here, So whatever it is. And then right after that, she mentioned that she had a boyfriend, which she doesn't have a boyfriend. She just mentioned that she had one because she was like, I'm not going out with somebody that thinks a word for manure is great. So that's what I think happened in this song. Yeah, this is totally, this is definitely from a Billy Joel's Costanza stage of a lot of missteps with women early in his life. Yes. You know, this song seems to be missing is there's no bridge in it, right? It's like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, the end. There's no, doesn't a song should have a bridge, right? I guess, but he, I guess he probably put, would have put one in if it was on the album. You know, I don't think he cared. I think he's just playing this. It's a demo. And I think if it was produced normally, there would have been a bridge. Okay, I'll accept that. And I, I guess songs don't need it. It just felt like, I don't know, I needed it to get to another place to really become great. I like it a lot, though. I do. I'm pretty sure that's not why it's not on the album. Now, I read this story, um, and which might kind of describes this song a little bit, in a way. Um, when So when he was trying to get out of his Artie Rip contract already actually set up meetings with other record labels that could kind of take on most of the work. And so he set up a meeting with Atlantic Records, which was Ahmet Erdogan, who's the legendary uh, head of Atlantic Records, and Jerry Wexler, who's also a legend. And so Billy Joel met up with these guys, played a ton of his songs that eventually would have come onto Piano Man. And he was really going crazy with the playing because he wanted to replicate what the whole band's arrangement would be. So, you know, he was doing his thing. He was going all over the place on the piano. And afterwards, Jerry Wexler said, you play too much, stop playing so much. And I kind of feel like with this song, he's relying so much on the piano playing instead of if he had a good producer who could say, this is what the guitarist is going to play and this is going to be the drum part. And all these guys could come together and make it into more of a cohesive song instead of being so piano focused. Then I think this particular song would have perhaps been elevated. Well, that's what you learn as you uh, continue as an artist. 
Right. And what he learned so quickly was how to really build a great arrangement around his compositions. Uh, who was this Artie Rip? His original manager. Oh, the guy that he hates. Yeah, yeah. The that Dick Fa- Family Productions. Oh, that's the guy from Family Productions, <laughs> our favorite uh, production company. Yeah, but I, I always was thinking that they, he really totally disavowed this guy. But this guy was kind of, oh, he did. But he, this was also part of the process of him getting a deal on a better label. Like Artie was sort of involved in that and tried to get him to go to Atlantic. And then Billy was like, no, I agreed to go with Columbia. Sorry. But they weren't on speaking terms at this point in time. They just would meet up for these meetings only. You know, you said earlier that you're not sure if these are actually the titles of these songs because they're unreleased and we don't really know. And maybe that's the case with Bye Bye, Where's My Lady? Because he sings Bye Bye in the song. He sings Where's My Lady? Either one could be considered the title. In this song, I think December song must have been a title he decided on. Because the song itself doesn't mention the word December. There's no reason why anyone would assume it's called December song. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that part. So I feel like that's got to be what this was called. Yeah, you're right. I guess so. Solved. Good work. Well, folks, that was December song. Until you come to me. If you like our podcast, be sure to leave us a nice review. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Next episode is not just a released Billy Joel song, it's one of the hits. Don't ask me why, so check that one out. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Where did these unreleased tracks come from, and are there more that we want to find out about? Please send them to us. Should this song have been included on Cold Spring Harbor? And what is the song that Dave and I hear that the melody sounds like because it's driving us crazy? Please let us know. Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Jeskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. 